Thank you so much, Sarah. That's a verse I want to look at today as we start this new series. And yesterday, I was at a sermon planning retreat with our mother church, North Hills Church. We've been kind of talking about doing kind of some of the same sermon series as they have, and we've like planned out a year of sermons. And we were looking at doing one on kind of like family dynamics. And I just felt like with, with uh, being in tune with what everyone feels right now and, and hearing how everyone's kind of overscheduled and overwhelmed and exhausted and anxious, that I needed to switch gears. And so I told the mothership, um, doing something different, going rogue. Felt like I wanted to, to do this series called Simplified. And Simplified, um, it's actually a book that was released by Bill Hybels, this pastor in Chicago. And it's, it's a great book, but I've enjoyed reading it over the last few months, and it, I've really enjoyed how it's allowed me to kind of interact with Scripture when it comes to this feeling of overwhelmed and overly scheduled. And one of the, the responses I always get when I ask people how they're doing, and this is, this is a typical response, and this is what I give, is it's, I'm good, but I'm busy. And so I, I say that to people. I'm doing great, but I'm really busy. And it's like, I want, I want to say I'm, I'm doing great because I want people to know, like, I've got things together, you know, like, I'm doing okay but also that I'm busy because, you know, I'm important and I've got things to do, places to be, and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think that when you find, when you ask most people how they're doing, that's usually the typical response is, most people are doing pretty good, but we're overscheduled, we're overwhelmed, and we're busy. And this is a, a teaching that I kind of took kind of like the core group of the church through as we were getting ready to kind of start building who we were going to be as a church. And I just wanted to share it today because I think it's important. I think it's Important as we are spending this time forming and shaping the culture of who we're going to be as Desert City Church. And so I just want to share a couple passages. Before we get there, the why. Why are we talking about simplified living? I would say this. I think that our hearts yearn for an antidote to all the drivenness and busyness in our lives. Our hearts yearn for that. We, this is why we go on vacation. We need something that replenishes us. And I think that, like C.S. Lewis says, that we're not just physical beings that have a soul. We're actually spiritual beings that inhabit a body. So there's, there's some sort of spirituality. There's a spiritual formation that takes place. The eternal parts of us is what we would say as Christians is our soul, the spirit. And that is something that can become weary. That is something that can be worn out. And that's something that we need to replenish. And so there's this yearning for this, this spiritual life. And what simplified living means, simplified living is about more than doing less. And so I'm not just talking about doing less with your schedule, but it's about being who God called us to be. Being in tune with, this is who God created me to be. This is how I'm wired. This is what I do well. And those are things that I want to pursue. And then the how, and this is what we're going to talk about in the series also. The how is simplified living requires more than just organizing closets or cleaning your desk drawer. Um, So I'm not just talking about the physical things in your life but it requires this uncluttering of the soul. And so I think that when we're, when we're spiritually healthy, everything else in life comes into to balance, and the things that are out of balance we're able to handle uh, because God is replenishing our soul. And so what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks are practices that unclutter our soul, that make us healthier and more balanced as spiritual beings, as followers of Jesus, as Christians in this world. And so if you have your Bibles or iPhones, open up to Luke chapter 10. Um, verse uh, 41 through 42. And this is a passage that you uh, may be familiar with, you might have heard before. So Luke chapter 10. There's this story, and there are three characters in the story. The first is Jesus, the second is this woman named Martha, and the third is a woman named Mary. 
And it, I'll start in verse 38. It, just listen to this story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. So if you have your Bibles, you can underline this, this phrase. She sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that she had made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So one of them is, is busy making preparations, and she's upset that Mary isn't doing anything. Maybe you can relate to someone in your family. And then the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So Mary is the one that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the Lord looks at Martha and says, you are worried and upset about many things. Worried and upset, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what's better. And so we look at the, uh, the one thing that Jesus talks about in this passage. The one thing is that she's present. She's fully present. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's fully present. There's this old Christian term that's been used throughout the history of the church. It's a kind of a Catholic Latin term. It's coram Deo. Coram Deo literally means before the face of God. But it means this idea of living in the presence of God, being present to God. And this is uh, what I believe as a church we need to pursue. We need to be a church that we're living in the presence of God. And we're encountering his spirit and we're in tune with who he's called us to do or who he's called us to be. Um, and this term of Quorum Deo, sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus in the presence of God before the face of God. We want to be a presence-driven church. A church that when, when we're in tune with the presence of God and when people see us and they're connected with us, they say, we've experienced God because of that. The one thing that's needed for Mary is this idea of the presence. We look throughout the, the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, um, there's these different passages where the people of God experience the presence of God. In Exodus, there's this story where you know, Charlton Heston leads the people out of uh, Egypt, and, and God shows up, and they get delivered to the Red Sea. And oh, it's not Charlton Heston anymore, is it? It's Christian Bale. Is he the Moses figure? I don't know. But we know the Exodus story. We've all read it. Where there are slaves in Egypt, and then God delivers them from slavery, and they walk through the Red Sea. And as they're, uh, as they're leaving Egypt and they go out to the wilderness, they're trying to figure out what's their identity as, uh, as a people, as a tribe, and they're interacting with God, and Moses is talking to God, and God's talking to Moses. And then they have this conversation where basically Moses says, we don't want to go anywhere, Lord, unless we have your presence with us. We don't know where we're going, but we know that if your presence is with us, we can go anywhere. And so they want to have this encounter with God where we know that your presence is with us. And what we find is that God's presence goes with them as they leave Egypt and they go through all sorts of trials and tribulations. But God is with them. And I think it's the same thing as a church. As we are forming who we're going to be and we start talking about our own DNA and culture and what this community needs and where we're headed, which we talked about last week, I think that the biggest issue is it doesn't matter necessarily where we're heading as long as God's presence is with us. And if his presence is with us, we can go anywhere and we can do anything as a church. I think it's true of us as a community and as us individually, the presence of God being with us. Then there's this story in Zechariah, Zechariah 8.23. This is your annual turn to Zechariah day because we rarely ever talk about Zechariah. 
But there's this passage in Zechariah where it says that there's these people gathered from, from like 10 different languages, so 10 different countries, and they're all these kind of like kind of pagan countries at the time. And they see the people of God, and they say, whatever you guys are doing, we realize that, that God is with you, that his presence is with you. And so we want that, whatever that is, we want to be a part of that. And what we find is that there's actually this experience where these people who are from all these other different religions and countries come to God through this experience of experiencing his presence through his people. And then there's this story in 1 Corinthians where the same thing happens. There are these people who are far from God, who all of a sudden experience God because they come into this encounter with God's people who are in the presence of God. And then finally in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about the church, and he says this about the church, that the church is a dwelling place for God, that God's presence comes and inhabits a community of people who are in tune with him. So being a presence-driven church, a church that, that, when, that, that I would, it would say we're present to God and we're present to people. And so because of that, people will experience God's presence. They'll have an encounter with Christ through this community. Um, and so when we think about this posture that we take on God, there's all sorts of preparations that need to take place for the church, and there's systems that we're putting in place. And it's the same way with your own life. There's a busyness that takes place. But then there's also the posture of just simply being in the presence of Jesus. And when you look at preparation versus presence, when Jesus is talking to Martha and Mary, he says that Mary has chosen the most important thing. One of the books that has kind of helped me over the last, really, year is this book called With by Scott Jathani. Um, if you're a reader and you like book recommendations, it's called With. And so uh, Simplified by Bill Hybels and With by Sky Jathani, great books. But he talks about how our spiritual life is all about this relationship with God. And we talk about how we take these different postures where we're trying to do things for God or we're hoping that God does things for us. But really what, what this life is all about is a relationship with God, the presence of God being alive in our lives. Last night, Marcy and I got to go on a hot date. It doesn't happen very often, so I was pretty excited about it. Uh, it was a Super Bowl party that Usher was at, which was really cool. And so Marcy is like a huge rap fan. It's just crazy. <laughs> so I was like, I got to take her to go see Usher. And we go to this party, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. It's kind of a high-profile party. And then Usher's kind of late, and he makes this entrance. And I don't know if you know who Usher is, big rap star, R&B star. Uh, he makes his entrance where he comes in on in, in this like brand new Mercedes. I think it's a CLK, the new CLK class. I don't know much about cars. I think I saw it on. But it's, I mean, unbelievable car. Comes into the room, drives the car into the room. The crowd parts for him, and everyone goes nuts. And this is like this high-profile crowd, you know, executives from different businesses, uh, very important people, and very like I would say it's kind of like a you know, the crowd is very sophisticated. They just start going nuts, and everyone's pulling out their cameras, taking pictures. They surround the car, and everyone turns into paparazzi. It's like these very important business executives all of a sudden are become like teenage girls. They're all flashing <laughs> pictures, like, taking pictures, flashes going off everywhere. And, and Usher gets out, and Usher is wearing the most ridiculous hat I've ever seen. It's, it's like a Davy Crockett hat. I don't know. It's cool because Usher's wearing it. And he gets out, and he's just, you know, and, and everyone's surrounding him. And it's like you can't get near him because he has this big entourage. And then he walks out of the area. And it's like, what just happened? Like, someone just came, and his presence was so powerful that everybody stopped what they were doing, and the attention was all on him. 
and because it was Usher, right? And it was like, goodness gracious, that presence of Usher was, is, is strong and transformative, right? It can control a room. But when you think about that, that's just a, that's a human, that's a celebrity, and how powerful his presence is walking into a room. And I think about the God of the universe uh, who created everything, who is unlimited and who is all-powerful and almighty, and who comes to us and reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus. The presence of, of that, the power of that, is something that we get to experience every single day. And you imagine how being in the presence of God, how powerful and transformative that is for us when we slow down, when we stop the busyness of life, and we just allow ourselves to sit at the feet of Jesus. Powerful things happen. Powerful things happen. So we want to be present to God and present to people. The second story takes place in John chapter 11. And in John 11, we have these same characters of Mary and Martha. We find that they have a brother named Lazarus. And if you, if you know the story, Lazarus ends up dying. And Jesus is good friends with Lazarus. And Jesus finds out that Lazarus has, has passed away. And, and at this point in Jesus' life, everyone knows that he's kind of a, a miracle worker. And he's doing these great, magnificent things. And he's working miracles. And so there's this hope that Jesus would come and that he would heal Lazarus before he dies. And if he could get there before Lazarus dies, he, would, he could heal him. And then everything's going to be okay. And what we find is that Jesus doesn't make it on time. Uh, He doesn't get there before Lazarus dies. And then he finds out that Lazarus has died. And he goes and he visits. And when he gets there, the sisters are heartbroken. Mary and Martha are are, uh, just, you know, to to have a a sibling pass away. And what we find is the way that they they handle the situation when Jesus does arrive, and they believe that Jesus could do something about the situation, they, they respond differently. And what we find is that Martha, the busy one, the one that's making all the preparations, the one that's trying to get things done, When she sees Jesus, she comes to him and says, if you only could have been here, you could have saved him. If you were only here on time, if you weren't delayed, my brother would be okay. And there's this response where there's this accusation from her out of the heartbreak that she's going through to accuse God, to accuse the son of God, to say, why didn't you show up on time? And what we find is there's this conversation that takes place and Jesus says, you know, I wasn't here, but just wait, I'm going to do something about this. And then Mary doesn't come out to see Jesus. She's actually back at home and she's weeping. And when she finally comes out and has this encounter with Christ, she falls at his feet and she's there at his feet again. The same thing that she is in the other story. She's at the feet of Jesus weeping and she's broken. And then she says the same thing that her sister Martha says. She says, if only you could have been here, Lord. And it says that Jesus, he looks down at her and he sees her completely broken up at the death of her brother. And it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. And from that compassion for Mary, seeing her in her brokenness, he ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. This miracle happens where he brings Lazarus back to life. And as the story goes, Lazarus comes out of the grave, comes out of the tomb, and there's a celebration. When we think about this encounter with Martha and Mary, I think that I would, I'm much more in the, the Martha category in my response. Lord, if you'd only been there. So when things start going poorly in my life, when things start breaking uh, down, when, when things don't go as I expected or as I hoped, I come to the Lord out of accusation. God, why did you let this happen? 
Why did you not do something about this? And I come with this accusatory heart. And God can handle that. God can handle our accusations towards him, our, him not meeting our expectations, or him allowing things to happen that, that break our heart, and then us being upset with him. He can handle that. But then the way that he treats Mary, where she comes to him out of brokenness, we find that it moves his spirit. When Mary is in his presence and she's broken and she comes to him, the spirit is moved to do something about it. So there's this posture of accusation when we come to the presence of Christ, where we come to the presence of God, and there's this posture of brokenness. And I found that in life, much like the story, God responds not to accusation, but he responds to brokenness. So when we talk about the presence of God, when we come to him, some people, it's, it's difficult to come to him because we carry this baggage, we carry this pain. We're upset with God. We don't want to just be in his presence. And the posture that Mary takes is this posture of being broken and resting at the feet of Jesus. And through that, we find the spirit of God moves and a miracle happens. And so when we talk about the presence of God, I don't know what it is that is inhibiting you from coming to God today. Maybe it's upset, maybe it's anger, maybe it's confusion about how he works. But having this posture of brokenness and resting at his feet, allowing him to work and to move is the posture I think we need to take. So posturing ourselves in the presence of God and then in brokenness before him and humility. And then uh, this final story takes place in John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, once again, we have Mary. And uh, once again, she's at the feet of Jesus. And what we find is that in Scripture, when there's a, a cadence of, of a, a word or a phrase that appears over and over again, you should look throughout the Scripture and see where else this is taking place. Something else is going on here. And what we find in this story is that Jesus is about to die. He's about to go to his death. And Mary's at his feet. And she knows that he's about to die. And what she does is she, she has this bottle of perfume that is meant for... Uh, uh, preparing a body after death. And Jesus hasn't died yet, but she breaks open this bottle and she pours it on his feet and she starts to anoint him with it. And the people around her are freaking out. They're like, what is this lady doing? This is an extremely expensive bottle of perfume. And she just broke it. Like, why is she, why is she just letting her do this? And why, we could have used that bottle for something else. And, and what we find is that disciples who are upset, they don't realize what's going on here. Jesus is about to die. He's going to his death. And he's been saying, I'm about to die, I'm going to my death. And the disciples don't get it. But Mary gets it, and she understands it. And she's preparing her heart, and she's preparing Jesus for this moment where he goes to his death. And I like to think, she understands what Jesus is talking about, because she's been in his presence, and she's been aware. So she's in tune with the will of God in this moment, even to the point that the disciples aren't. She anoints him. And then what we find in the story when Mark tells it, um, is it says that, what Mary has done here in this passage is going to be remembered forever because she was in tune with the situation that I was going to my death and she came and she anointed me and she sacrificed this bottle of perfume to do it. So because of that, her name is going to be remembered. And when we think about what we want to do with our lives, when we talk about our own legacies that we want to leave, being remembered for things, we, we strive and we're busy and we try to produce. Um, but for Mary... Uh, the fruit of her labor comes from being at the feet of Jesus, being present to what Christ is doing in the world. 
And from that, she does something that's remembered forever. She becomes the significant event. She becomes remembered for it. And so there's this fruit that is produced from being in the presence of God, being in tune with what God is doing in the world, where God is going, and what he's called us to do. And so there's this extravagance that we, as we're in the presence of God, we're willing to, for, for Mary, it was to, to give up this, this expensive bottle of perfume because all that mattered was that moment. And we often think about this reasonableness for the disciples. It was like, why would you do that? Why would you spend this expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus? Because they don't understand where God is going. And I think that when we spend time in the presence of God, when we're passionate about that, it always, it doesn't look reasonable to people. And it's something that as, as we do it, and as we're completely in tune with what, what God is doing in the world, uh, we give our lives to it. And it's, we give an extravagant amount of energy and resources to say, this is where God's going, and this is what I'm doing to join in with it. And it never looks reasonable. For Mary, it was um, this unbelievable moment. And uh, she's remembered for it forever. And so when we talk about these postures in the presence of God, preparation versus presence is where we get our source of life. Accusation versus comfort. Comfort is where we get our power. And then finally, the extravagance versus reasonableness is the fruit of being in that presence. So as we're in the presence of God, there's this source of life that we tap into. There's this power that we get to do the things that God has called us to do. And then there's the fruit of our labor of being in that presence. So I think even as we talk about being just exhausted, overworked, overscheduled, we come to God and through the presence of God, he fills up our spirit for spiritual beings. And through that, we have power to pour into other people. And so on Sundays, when we come here today, we come in here with, from different places in our journey. Uh, some of you are completely weary and burdened and, and carrying really heavy things. Other of you might be... Uh, physically ill um, and, and, and dealing with uh, the issues of, of your body breaking down. Some of you might have uh, some relational strife that is, uh, that you, it, it's on the back of your mind and it's just something that kind of is either nagging at you or you know like you've, you've got to deal with this situation soon. There's all sorts of things that just drain us of life. And our hope today is that you would come and allow God to just fill you up so that you can go out tomorrow and be the kind of people that he has designed you to be in the world. So one of the things that we do every week as we close is uh, this uh, idea of communion. And communion for us is this symbolic act of, of taking bread and taking juice that represent the body of Jesus that was broken open for us and his blood that was poured out for us. And for us, we do it in re- remembrance of him. For some Christian traditions, uh, they believe that when you take this communion, that the presence of Christ is actually alive and real right there. And as, as we take it today, I, I thought that would be kind of cool to think about, that as we take communion, that we are in the presence of Jesus. We are living at his feet, and he's here among us, and it's real. So as we move to communion, that's one of the things that we're going to do. And the other thing is that over here on the side, with wherever you're at today, with whatever you're carrying, if you would like to have prayer, there's going to be a couple people over here that would love to pray for you. And they have uh, anointing oil. And this is uh, something that we, we don't usually do, to have anointing oil. And it, it's something that if you're not used to church, it might be a little bit strange. The oil, there's nothing magical about it. But in our tradition, what we'd say is that oil is represent, uh, representative of the presence of Christ. And if you would like to just 
come to them and have them pray for you and anoint you with oil. This is a way for us to do something intentional to say, I want to tangibly have an experience where, where God's presence is here and he's real. And the challenge today is to, to live at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that we move from being exhausted to energized when we live there at the feet of Christ. And so today, we want to be a presence-driven church. We want to be a presence-driven people where God is real and that we're present to God and we're present to other people. Um, so as we pray, feel free to, uh, when you're ready, to take communion. And if you'd like prayer, to come over here. And, and then we'll wrap things up. But let's, uh, let's pray. And let's just uh, reflect on these stories. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. And uh, we thank you for, for loving us, for desiring relationship with us, for being a personal God. We thank you for your presence that uh, we get to experience. And Lord, we live in such a busy, uh, secular society. We're moving so quickly, and it's not often that we can just stop and pause and reflect on who you are and what you're doing in the world and what you're doing in our life. So Lord, today we give you these next moments. We believe they're sacred. We believe they're precious. We would just ask for you to speak to us. We would ask for you to to start to unclutter our soul and all the things that are just complicating life right now. That we would just leave it at your feet. That we'd have a meaningful encounter and that you would fill us up, that you would heal us, that you would empower us. And that we would leave here in tune with who you created us to be. So we give you this time right now, Lord. We love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.